The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Today's scripture is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 through 12, and it can be found on page 986 in the Bibles around your chairs. That's the English Standard Version, or you can follow along on the screen up above. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is the reading of God's word. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, just thank you for, uh, again, a time to come to set aside, to acknowledge you, to honor you, to worship you, to, uh, to come before you in need, um, to just come into your presence. Lord, I pray that this time uh, would serve to fortify us as a body, as individuals, to uh, take the mandate to make disciples seriously and clearly, strategically, to, to make this a driving aim. And uh, we pray that uh, it would be to your glory and honor. In Christ's name I pray, amen. If you know anything about me, I feel like a fire hydrant and we're about to chip the lid off of the cap. It's going to come. So it's, uh, I told Kate, I said, I feel like there's a lot here. So let me say this just uh, in opening, where, where we're going, I'll kind of give you just a little outline. But before I do that, this the word discipleship really is broad, and you're going to get a version from me this morning that is more tailored, more focused, more strategic. Um, I think in every respect, as, as we live out our lives, we're modeling. We're either a good example or a bad example. And those examples that are much more homed in will get to a stricter version of discipleship. And the further back out you go, it's a looser version. But really, when we look at Scripture, it says, Beholding Him, we're transformed. Meaning, those who we spend in the presence of have an influence on who we become. And so, we can have that influence one-on-one in a very tight relationship. Or you can have it from a distance where the way somebody lives their life out, in some sense, is certainly having a discipleship influence on you by their example. So now you know where I'm going to be going. There's uh, four sections we'll roll through. Um, I'm going to address 
the return in discipleship. And that's, that's what do we receive as a result of this? Where, where, uh, what does it do for us? Um, then we're going to address the requirements for discipleship, the roadblocks in obeying the discipleship command, and then the realities of discipleship making. So I'll kind of go, I'll, I'll give you a heads up as we move into each section on that. Um, you know, as, as I open up this morning, I think when I look at this world, we live in a broken world. Broken families, whether they're together or not, they're broken families, broken governments, broken relationships. And, and even when we look to the future, aren't there a sense of broken dreams? As soon as the new, you know, Crave or the politician or, you know, the, the preacher shows up on the scene, we have this hope. We get let down. You know, the hope, it's, it's like, no, this is not going to get fixed. And so the question that I raised this morning in life how do we put the pieces together personally as a Christian, as a believer, somebody professing Christ? How do I take this, this world that seems all broken into pieces um, and, and, and put those pieces back together? Um, and so I'm going to give you an illustration. If you've heard this before, I'm, I'm not sure if I've given the illustration. I've used it elsewhere. But since Randy has spoken about coffee more than one occasion up here, I get to do it. So that's the end of it. So I want to give you a story about a little boy. He comes into his father one, one, one afternoon in the middle of the weekend, and he asks his dad to go fishing that coming weekend. And the dad's sure like, yeah, whatever this weekend, sure, I'll take you fishing. So Saturday comes around, and the little boy comes back into the room. He's got his hat on, his tackle bag. He's got his pole. And he says, Pop, we're going fishing, right? And the father now at this point has decided he does not want to go fishing and starts looking for an out. And he looks over on the, on the, on the table, and there's a newspaper clipping a full-page ad on some advertisement, and it's got a picture of the globe. And so he takes this picture of the planet Earth, and he rips the page out, and he shreds it into 100 pieces, takes the kid's hat off, drops it in the hat, and says, when you tape back together the picture of the planet Earth, I'll take you fishing. Little boy, no clue what was just presented to him, but takes the pieces in the hat off to the other room, sits down at the kitchen table, and starts laying out these pieces of the planet Earth. And, and he starts looking at this, thinking, man, the, my world, there are all these pieces. As he sits there, it just becomes overwhelming. He's absolutely perplexed, and, and he realizes, I can't put the pieces of my world back together. And I ask this question today because as we sit here, how many of us have lived our lives, even coming to church Sunday after Sunday, tithing, and saying, there are all these pieces laid out, and they're not, I can't put them back together. And if that's you this morning... I hope this morning is a turning point. I hope this is a place where you realize that there is a way to put the pieces back together. And, and so let me run through this. We'll, we'll see the story about how the little boy resolves this dilemma, this problem in closing. But again, if this really is you, um, and I think most of us at certain levels, even if this isn't your whole life, it's areas of your life, you know, whether it's motherhood or, or doing something with work or, or, or dealing with a family relationship that's, that's just been destroyed. How, how do we put those pieces back together? So let me open up the return in discipleship, the why. Why do we do this? And, and obviously right out of the starting gate, Matthew 29, 19 gives us what we call the Great Commission. And it says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And it's just, this is the deal. And, and I think this is interesting. It says, therefore, go. And it, it's not, therefore, go when you got it together. It's not a go if you have enough money. 
It's not a go when your kids are in college. It's not a go when you arrive spiritually. It's a go, okay? What do they say? If you want to learn something, what do they tell you to do? Teach it. Yeah, that's when you rise to the occasion, when you step out and you go, gee, you know, I start sweating when it's Friday night and I don't have an outline when I'm teaching Sunday morning. Why? Because I need to get on the stick. I'm going to, I'm going to, and I'm going to buckle down. And so when you have to go, what happens? You'll buckle down. And fortunately, this isn't just the blind, cold command as to why we do this. It, it, it is, and I will submit to you, and this is, you're going to say, whoa, this is a strong statement, Jonathan. And it is. But I'm going to give it to you, and I, and I think it bears out biblically. The, the concept of fulfilling this great commission, the therefore, and go, the therefore go, is the only way in which we will find our highest satisfaction on this side of glory. Let me restate this, and, I, and I'm going to prove it to you. It is the only way to find the highest satisfaction on this side of glory. John 3, 16, over that landmark verse, it says, God so loved the world that he... So we know out of the starting gate, if, if we're going to be obedient, it's going to involve this thing called Christianity is going to involve giving. 90% of Christ's existence was in giving. Um, it was to fulfill the will of his Father, um, and it's no different for us. Romans 14, 17 tells us, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and of joy in the Spirit. And, and you see some attributes here, this righteousness, this, this peace, and this joy. 2 Corinthians 7, 4, Paul is telling the Corinthians, I have spoken to you with great frankness. Sounds like a discipleship relationship there, if you, if you haven't recognized it. I take great, great pride in you. And that's an interesting statement in and of itself, because he's saying the investment gives me a sense of worth. Think that through. When you have pride in something, not an evil pride with the eye in the middle of it, this is a holy pridefulness by saying, God, I've honored you. I've done it. I've spoken to you in great frankness. I take great pride. I am, I am greatly encouraged in all my troubles. My joy knows no bounds. And so as he starts talking about the trials and difficulties in his life, he says, but when I think of you, the joy I have, there's no parameter to it. There, there's no defining line. It keeps going. And does he really mean no bounds? You know, you read Scripture and go, wait a minute, no, no bounds? So are you telling me in economic distress there's no bounds as to that joy still being present in sickness, in times of loss, suffering, in times of just the madness of life on life's terms? Yet we have this joy Paul speaks of. Do we have this joy? And that's a big question. Do we have that joy that knows no bounds? And I would submit that if the joy is lacking, it's in large part because we're not taking the discipleship mandate seriously. It's that we are not being discipled and discipling others. And I'm going to give you the lockdown piece of proof. In the third epistle of John, verse 4, John tells us, I have no greater joy to hear that my children are walking in truth. Well, if it's no greater you're not going to find it anywhere else. He says, the pinnacle of the satisfaction in my existence is the result of watching a life lived truly for his glory and his honor and to have played a minuscule role in facilitating that growth, in facilitating that reconciliation, that, that taking the hand of another person and leading them 
to a holy God and placing their hand on that holy God and walking away and saying, that's the role I've had. And he says, that joy, because it's an eternal joy, it can't be shaken. It can't, you know, no matter what happens in your life, that the eternal significance doesn't dull. And knowing that another person lives out not only this present existence, but eternity, because you played a role in equipping or facilitating their growth with a holy God. And that's a privilege. I know of no greater joy. So, so this thing of Christianity, and if you've heard me for any amount of time, I make this statement, Christianity is not a spectator sport. Unless we're immersing and investing ourselves in the lives spiritually, the welfare and progress of others, the joy will elude us. The problem is, is that that joy comes at a high price. When you step out on a limb, you're going to face ridicule. It's messy. Human beings are messy. You're going to have to make yourself exposed and vulnerable, may face ridicule. Some people may say, I want nothing to do with it, and I think you're a crackpot, and they'll walk away. Will that affect your standing socially, professionally, maybe even within your church? You know, that as that light grows brighter within each of us, that tends to offend the darkness. And to think that it's not going to offend the darkness is to mislead you. It's risky business. But the rewards, no greater joy, a joy that knows no bound. And as Randy said a couple weeks ago when we started this series, this thing to disciple others in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 19 and 20, Paul says, For what is our hope, our joy? Or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. You know, it's interesting to say that, that the investment you make in that relationship gives you glory. The only other place I know in Scripture, so it says that there's a glory here you will receive on this side of heaven, and I think again eternally as well, more so eternally. But you know, the only other place I found in Scripture is where you get glory the Proverbs says it's to a man's glory to overlook the faults of another. Kind of like what Christ did on the cross, huh? Interesting. So the requirement, so, that, so there's the return. The return is the, the joy. It doesn't come with a check. It doesn't come with heightened standing. But it doesn't come if you don't get the check or you don't get It comes, Period. The joy, the requirement for discipleship. You know, if we think this through logically, it's easy. I'm going to say this. Sometimes you, you walk through a church doors and you leave your brain outside. You know, when you're at work Monday morning, you got to use your brain. They're, they're cracking a whip. It's dog eat dog. You, you've, got, you've got a man up. you got to hustle. And I'm like, oh, I'm coming to worship Jesus. I'm going to relax. No. Double your efforts. This isn't for a paycheck. This is for the glory of our king. All right? So, the requirements for discipleship in every endeavor in life, every other endeavor out there, when we seek excellence, how often do we go, well, I'll just get a book and bone up on it myself. I'll figure this one out. No, it's madness. We go find people who know what they're talking about, who can teach and train us in whatever that endeavor is, whether it's sports, professionally, hobbies. I don't care whether you're crocheting. You go find a master crocheter, and they'll teach you how to do this thing. And you'll learn it twice as effectively and twice as quickly as if you were trying to do it on your own. So why not find the master? So everything we do, how often do you go on the baseball field? Have you ever seen this one? You throw a pile of bats, balls, and gloves out into the field. You send 20 second graders out there and say, have at it. Anyone ever do that? Ever. 
You know, if you didn't tell the kid, keep your eye on the ball, would he ever hit the thing? I'll give you the answer. No. They see that ball coming in, they're shuddering. You mean I got to watch the thing coming in at 15 miles an hour? You know, that's a horrifying prospect. But then all of a sudden, when you see it and you keep your eye on it, what happens? But if you don't hear the words, keep your eye on the ball, do you ever hit it? Absolutely not. So, you know, the madness. You ever take your kid out in the front yard with a new bike? They've never driven it before, and you leave the bike on the stand and say, have at it, and walk back into the house? DSS would be coming for you if that's the parent you are. Let's just, there's just a heads up. It's a symptom. If, if, if you think about this, you ever bring your 8-year-old up to the stove with a stick of butter, some eggs, and a pan, and tell them, figure it out? I mean, it's, this is absurd, but we'd never conceive of doing that. Yet how much more so for a brand new believer who walks in the doors, has had a profession of faith as a new birth, and we stand there and say, good luck. I mean, it's like next to the kid with the stick of butter in the pan. You, ever, you know, if, if, if you take an eight-year-old girl and you don't tell her back straight, Arms back, uh, shoulders back, arms out, chest forward. She'll never twirl with grace. That's not my daughter. That's with grace, right? All of these things, all of these things. You don't take boys out into the woods with a flint and a Bowie knife and say, I'll see you in a few days. I mean, I could go on and on. The madness, the absurdity of hearing these things is making my point. A CPA is educated and trained. He's tested and only upon given a, a proven proficiency, a licensing in accounting is able to balance our books. You don't, you don't send law enforcement. Now, we may think this, and, and this isn't fair, though. I wouldn't even say that. Uh, law enforcement officers are, are trained. These guys got a hard job. Uh, they're trained in conducting investigations, how to use a gun and how to apprehend somebody. You don't give them any chance to figure it out. The guy says, I know how to use a gun. No, you don't say, oh, skip the academy. You're cool. Go. Hand him a badge. Uh, that's where we get the term the Wild West. You know, it, you can't drive without passing a written and physical test. There's no exceptions. Uh, if you can articulate words well and craft a per persuasive argument, we don't give you a pass on the bar exam. Just trust me. Now, with this training thing, there are two exceptions, and I shudder when I, when I thought about this. The two exceptions are marriage and Christianity. You can go get a marriage license, no test. Walk up, sell them, give some blood work, depending on which state you're in, and you're good to go. And a believer walks in there, we don't scream and shout from the rooftops, be trained, be equipped, and mandate it. And I think that man, go, therefore go. It's not maybe, this is a mandate. And make disciples. If I were Satan and I want to overthrow humanity, not just the church, but the church will follow with humanity. If I want to render Christians spiritual invalids, I will personally, if I were Satan, I would convince the Christians that they don't need any help in marriage. And then I can destroy the home and I can convince them you can do it on your own in Christianity. And I can let you muddle around in circles chasing your own tail. And, and you have won the battle. Yet when these two areas are lived out in biblical alignment, it seems that almost everything takes care of itself. The rest of this world, all those pieces just kind of fall into place. And truthfully, a good chunk of the discipleship encompasses how to be a godly spouse and parent. So I would say that it's a near impossibility to live out a biblical lifestyle without being discipled in one form or another. I don't see how it can be done. Just 
transition that to any other endeavor. You can't swing a bat correctly if you don't have somebody telling you to keep your eye on the ball. How can we live this thing out? And imagine this because Christianity is a little more difficult in this respect because most of those forces, you don't have somebody on the baseball field as you're standing at the, getting ready to swing the bat. Well, you might occasionally, but you don't have somebody perpetually throwing things at you to distract you from being able to keep your eye on the ball. Yet in Christianity, you want a good book, read Screwtape Letters. This is an, if we are not on the offensive and defensive, we're going to get slaughtered in this, this domain because Satan... And his dominion is doing one thing seven days a week, trying to thwart, discourage, dissuade, to undermine, to attack everything we're trying to lift in the realm of our faith. So the training is essential. I hope that's clear. The roadblocks to obeying this. And the roadblocks, I'm going to do this really quickly because you know the truth of the matter is a roadblock really doesn't matter if you have a bulldozer. And when you have God's word, you have the church, you have prayer, you have community, the bulldozer's moving. I don't care where the road is. We'll make the path. But some of the things, first of all, some of the roadblocks, some people are out there doing a great job. They have no roadblocks. They have cut the anchor. You know, they have burnt the bridge. They have chiseled out their priorities and they're living this out. There are some, and I think this is probably most people, the reason that they're not following this directive is that they've never sat in an environment where, where they've had a mandate to say, do it, and here's how we do it. Something simple, laid out, concise, to the point. They've got a community that fosters and facilitates these relationships and says, this is how we're going to do it. And if somebody hasn't sat in front of you, I've had great people in my life that I've gotten to know me and open up and bear my heart and soul to, and there's no way I could get around who I am if I didn't do that. It's pointless. And so the point that I make is that unless you have these opportunities, unless you have these resources, I don't expect you to do it. It's just a natural result of lacking resources. Some people are here this morning probably don't know that Matthew 28, 19 says, go therefore, go, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. They're going, what? What is that? It's a result of biblical literacy. And again, if I didn't have somebody saying, we've got, to, we've got to be biblically literate, telling me the need for biblical literacy, I wouldn't know you need the biblical literacy. I'm just feeling better. I'm not going to burn in hell. Jesus is in my life. I feel a little better. Some of the guilt is coming off. You know, and all, some of the fires have gone out. Isn't that it? Isn't that good enough? No. No. It's the tip of the iceberg. I would submit that some, as Justin alluded to last week, will say, I, I don't have the time. That's a lie. And Justin made some great, listen to the last two weeks if you're here for the first time. Justin made some great recommendations on how to get a, overlap it. If you're, if you're a mom with little kids, get, find another mom with little kids and do life together. Start overlapping and stacking your life. And it, it doesn't matter if it's messy. But I'm going I'm to prove to you it's a lie. How many of us driving down a heavy, busy interstate seeing a four-year-old toddler walking on the side of the road won't stop our car, pull over, and help the kid? How many of us would not come to the aid of the four-year-old on a major interstate walking down the side of the road? Got a hand? No. no we would all pull over. Oh, Jonathan, I'm late for work. If you were late for work, would you pull over? Oh, I would. 
You see, it's not a question of having the time. The one thing all humans get universally is a package called a day. It's 24 hours, no more, no less. The question isn't do we have the time. The question is how we use the time. And what's important comes to the top and what's not goes to the side. And that's an indictment. How we use our time is the indictment on how we fail to value biblical priorities. And I'm not here to guilt you, but leave it alone. Guilt belongs on 17th century furniture. You know, we here in the body of Christ, we're going forward. Again, get in the bulldozer. That's all I get in next to me. We'll figure it out. Um, so we, we have the time. It's just not a priority. And again, I would say that if you're really pressed, one of those people, and most, if you want something done, find somebody who's busy. Have you heard that? Because these are people that know how to use their time. Pray that God would give you the capacity to use your time, that you would have wisdom in time management. Find people who have good time management skills, hello, hello, and have them disciple you on how to use your time wisely. How about this? We, we lack the training to disciple others because we haven't been discipled ourselves. Now, if I gave you a 50-page manual in a very boots on the ground, very, just a very middle of the fairway template, and I said, read it, grab a brother, sit down and go through it together with them and pick it apart. If you can use 50% of it, God bless you, would you do it? Would you give it a swing at least? There are great materials out there. Simple, concise, to the point. We'll get to that. Here's the scary one, though, as to why we're not discipled. And Satan feeds this one. We believe that we can manage fine without the assistance of others. Let me say that again. We believe we can manage fine without the assistance of others. It's called Rambo Christianity, by the way. Yeah, no, you're not an army in and of your, Rambo can do it, but you're not Rambo, so we're done. And you're not John the Baptist, and if you want to be him, try it out. A little honey, you know, some, some what was it, camel hair. You know, you're not, you're not going to put the clothes on, so you're not John either. Then you fall into the camp of the bounce of humanity, which says you need help. And, and the problem is, is that it's, it's not a bad thing to say, I need help. I mean, that's just, again, if you're, if you're a young CPA, you need help. How often do you go, well, I really, I, we don't, I need help. In the realm of Christianity, um, we are not an island unto ourselves. And I don't care if you've got a brown robe and you call yourself a monk. They got groups of monks that hang out. You ever see just one single monk in a monastery? No, they got groups of monks. They're all walking around in coats. So having said that, that, that there, there, there are lots of monks. You can't even use that one. The, the difficulty here, really truthfully, is that in America we have this mentality with just enough effort, with just enough grit. If you just put your head to the nose to the grindstone and you plow through and gut it out, you can achieve anything. And that's a lie. A hard work and perseverance will get you great dividends in life. I'm not mitigating that. I'm simply saying in the realm of Christianity, thinking we can do it on their own is grossly misplaced and wrong. And once we own that, the door opens and say, well, maybe I do need help. If I said that when you go to work, I'll give you 20 minutes of training in the beginning of your day, and your salary will go from 50000 to 150000 in 12 months. Would you give me the 15 minutes? How different is it in the realm of the spirit? But the eternal consequences should, should push us with a sense of urgency. Um, some of us will say, no, I just like the 50000 bucks a year. You see, that's the problem with humanity. We'll settle for less. 
and, and, th and this mandate to go and make disciples is to assure us we can't settle for less, that we can get the full thing. The realities of discipleship making. We get great definitions in the men that went before me. I'm so privileged and honored to be around the guy. If you stick around in this place, not a lot of new faces. Welcome, by the way. Really welcome. We're grateful you're here. Uh, I'm at least of the opinion I don't think it's an accident you're here. So if it is not an accident, it's a plan. And if you're not sure whose plan it is, I'll give you a little cue. It's God's. And if it's God's plan, it's a good plan. So we're glad you're here because it's a good plan. Okay, having said that, definition of a disciple, one who, hear, one who learns, one who learns to worship Jesus in every area of their life. One who learns. Now think about this. How do we learn? We learn everything in three ways. First, by personal experience. Um, initially, um, I would say you clearly this is not the easiest way to learn anything. It is slow. It is fraught with peril and lots of mistakes. Um, certainly, self-learning, self-taught things exist that must be learned by personal experience to either acquaint us or to um, give us some bitter truths in life. Truthfully, we got to learn the lessons. They're bitter lessons. Hence the term bitter lesson. Or there are only some things that on hands learning is required. A bicycle. You know, you, you just got to go learn it yourself. You got to do it. You can have some assistance, but you are the one pedaling when you get off down the street. So we learn by personal experience. The second way we learn is by the experience and wisdom already possessed by another. These are the people that have been bloodied and battered. And if you're going to learn something, and if somebody's going to get bloodied and battered, I would prefer to be you, not me. So why not allow somebody who's gone down there to get bloodied and battered for you? The whole education system supports this, by the way. We go to classrooms and every training and teaching. There's somebody else there with more to give us what we need. And that is obviously the most efficient route for training. Um, the third is that we can learn through books, and there's fantastic stuff in books. The great thing about books is that we, we can, from a distance or from history, learn about the lives of some pretty spectacular people in the spiritual realm, and that can have a great influence. Um, so clearly the learning from the book, I don't want to mitigate, but it's, um, there, there are pros and cons from the books, and obviously some things absolutely cannot be acquired. But the point, the bottom line point is that learning requires the teaching and training. It to learn requires teaching and training. So we had the definition of a disciple, but what about a discipleship maker? And that is helping someone to learn to worship Jesus in every area of their life by sharing the gospel and their life. And this involves, obviously, the one-on-one -on -one coming alongside. It can either be in a little group or really one-on-one. -on -one. Let me point out some things. First of all, it's work. And it requires community. Um, so we will, um, we're going to do something in Doxa. Put it, you guys got your calendars? Pull your calendar phones out. You got phones? Everyone's got phones, right? Get your phone out. I need you to give you a date. Sunday, June 11th, 2016, 8.30 a.m. We will do Do Discipleship 101 at Doxa for 10 weeks this summer. No excuse. One hour, child care be provided for 10 weeks. Very simple, 50, 45-page manual. We're going to walk you through it. We're going to lock and load you. And if you used 40 or 50% of this, I believe you would be light years ahead of the masses. And I'm not saying it's the end-all, be-all discipleship setting, but it's something to get us out the door. You know, if, you, if you're operating the, the bulldozer and you take a telephone pole out, I'm okay. I'm flexible. We want to get you in the bulldozer of discipleship. And move you down the road. And, and there's our introduction as a church and what we believed in since day one when this body really started. Um, Sunday, June 11th, 2016, 8.30 a.m. And I want to give you an overview 
on. 2017. I put 2016. Boy, that'll tell you where I am. So I have a wife, right? No, honey, you're a year off. Okay, thank you, honey. I love you. Ma. <laughs> oh, the madness. Oh. Let me do this. Randy's going to post on an overview. We're going to give you a template. Where are we going? What does discipleship look like? And so do we have this? Do we got a look at this? Necessity of a guide. Have we talked about why you need a guide? You don't give the kids a flint and a bowie knife and send them off into the woods. You have somebody get a backpack and they take you into the woods. So I think we, we spend a, a, we, an hour in that saying, why do we really need a guide and what does that mean? Um, the, the second chapter, we talk about the holiness of God and sinfulness of man. And here's why. If we don't get who God is and who I am, this the rest of this thing's a wash. I'll never give God the time of day. But when I see the holiness of God and then I see this fallen, broken, treasonous excuse of a human being, it puts in perspective the need or the urgency to take this mandate seriously. And in the grace of God, and there's just two weeks, there's an introduction week and two weeks of theology and the rest is boots on the ground. But, but if you understand who God is, you understand how broken we are as humans. When you catch a glimpse of the cross, oh, how beautiful it is. And with that beauty, there's a willingness to say, here I am, send me. But if, but, if we, but if we don't know the holiness of God, we don't see our brokenness. You look at the cross and say, well, couldn't it have been another way? Or I'm not that bad, or maybe it wasn't necessary. That's madness. But when you see that cross, when you realize there's no good thing dwelleth in me. At the core, it's rotten. And oh my goodness, there's this cross, this grace, this favor, this unmerited favor poured out historically present and in the future and the provision of God dropped at your feet. I only one thing, I'm unworthy, yet here it is. Yeah, I'll pick it up. I'll, I'll do anything to keep it. So we talk about accountability and transparency, chapter 4. We're being real, we've got to own it. And the difficulty is, is when we come into house cleaning, most of us come up for air in the church with a crisis, truthfully. I bet statistically, 50, 60, 70% of the people, something's on fire when you meet Jesus. And it's not Jesus, it's what's preceding the meeting of Jesus that prompts us to realize we've got trouble, we need help, we have problems. And even if not, you're bringing every, all the baggage you've, you've, that comes from a sinful life, it comes with you. So you come into the church, you show up for air, and yes, I see this grace. Yes, I've had this experience. Yes, there is the power and presence of his spirit. Yes, I can be fed through his word. But what about the fact that, that, that you know, I never had a mom? Or that I was beaten as a young man, or, or, or that I was ridiculed as a young child, or, or that I was abused, or God only knows how much stuff is going wrong there. We all show up for air in the church with scars, and some of those are deep. Some, some of those are bleeding out as we speak. There, there's help. So some of this house cleaning is to see where is the bitterness, what's going on with our fear, where does this shame come from, how do we, how do we jettison the guilt you know, I'm a person that believes resentment, deep resentment is what I call spiritual neurotoxin. It renders the Christian paralyzed. It shuts you down from the grace. And if, if we can't look at that, own some of it, and move it out, it's not, it, it's not going anywhere if we can't pick it up and move it out. The garbage in your kitchen does not leave on its own. Ever. You know, I ask these questions, some of the men I disciple, well, if you don't take the garbage out, what happens to the garbage? Well, I don't know. Well, no, that's a lie. I know what happens. It stays there and it rots. 
and it stinks and it breaks down and it gets nastier as time goes. You have to take the garbage out. How do we take the emotional garbage out? And it's really through looking at some of this stuff. Confession, restitution, and restoration. James 5.16 gives a mandate for what I call the great lost practice in the Protestant church. Confess your sins to one another. There are some other organized religions that have clung to that. And boy, there's a lot in it. That concept of confession, of owning it. If there's damage or hurt relationships, Matthew 5, 23, 24 says this. Therefore, if you're offering the gift at the altar, and there remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave the gift there in front of the altar. Now, I like this because if you don't come back, I presume we get to keep the gift. That's just me personally. But then it says, therefore, go and be reconciled then. Then come and offer your gift. So if you can't fix it, we're cool. We'll keep the gift. If you don't come back, I'm flexible. So I, I figured that one out. I'm pretty, pretty with it. But I wonder if this was a prerequisite for giving what we would have in the little box in the back of the church. How many of us bring gifts in there? It's, boy, if your brother or sister has something against you, it's got to get fixed. We do prayer and quiet time. Just a little introduction on that. And the big deal with that really is, is that I believe that prayer, quiet time, and time in God's word is the power pack for how to give, where to give, when to give, how often to give. You receive the wisdom. Things come out of your mouth. If we're prayed up and soaking before the Lord in, in his word and somebody comes to me seeking counsel, it's wisdom that comes out. It's the only thing on the inside. And I get no credit, by the way. But because we are spending time in beholding him, we simply reflect to them what we've been beholding. It's a natural consequence. You don't have a choice if the, about wisdom coming out when, when you soak before the Lord. And then an effective ministry. If somebody incorporates, even in a loose template, this type of situation, the, these directions, you know, what is the fruit? What does it look like? If we have pursued the course of action, we shall be like the tree planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Psalm 1, 3. Matthew 13, 23. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160, 30 times what is sown. It's a natural consequence. You, if you till the soil, you prune the tree, you fertilize the ground, you water the tree, and then you threaten the tree, do not produce good fruit. Got some news for you. The tree's going to ignore you. Why? Because the nature of the tree will dictate the fruit that comes off of it. And if Satan wants to come after you, I said the world will keep going. See, it doesn't matter if it's a windy day, the tree produces fruit. It doesn't matter if there's overcast, the tree will produce fruit. The, the, the tree will produce fruit. So have you ever cooked something by accident and left out one of the critical ingredients? I did that with bread yesterday. I forgot the yeast. It was a beautiful, thick biscuit. <laughs> That was promptly dumped into the garbage can. You ever make sweet tea and forget half the sugar? Don't, don't say it's sweet tea. Because when you do, the poor soul who drinks it thinking it's sweet tea will be grossly misled. Same thing in Christianity. Without discipleship, guess what? You got sweet tea with half the sugar. And we're walking around calling it sweet tea and it ain't sweet tea. Yes, it's a poor reflection of sweet tea. But to have sweet tea, you need all the sugar. And living this faith thing out without being discipled and discipling others is like tea without the sugar. It doesn't work. Yeah, it'll quench your thirst. Yeah, it tastes okay. And if you really like tea, that's nice. But it ain't sweet tea. And the sweetness of Jesus will never be seen. And I hate to say that, but it's, it, there has to be a flow for him to work through and utilize us. And if we don't allow that, where are we? 
So the little boy sat at the table, perplexed, trying to put the pieces of his world back together, and he couldn't do it. Fifteen minutes later, he walked back into the living room, a picture of the planet Earth taped back together perfectly. The father is perplexed, obviously a little shocked. He's going fishing and knows it. Father says, how did you do this? And he said, you know, Pop, I, I looked. I had the pieces of the world all over. I couldn't. My world was in peace. I couldn't do it. I flipped it over. There was a picture of a man, and when I put the man back together, the world fell into place. And to be discipled is to allow the man to be put back into place. Your world will fall into place. And that, to me, is the picture See, I can't go fix the world. I've got to fix the man. I need somebody to come alongside of me and take me and bring me into biblical alignment with living, with thinking, with believing, with behaviors, with valuations of who I am in Christ. And only then does the rest of the world fall into place. Justin, how do we do this? Justin gave us some great stuff last week. Read God's word daily. Memorize his word. Write it on our hearts. I hope your community group is doing something. Our community group got Hebrews uh, 10, 24, and 25. We're locking it down. So if you're in a community group and you're not memorizing scripture this week, it's my opinion you're in a lousy community group. That's just my opinion. Don't let your finger feelings be hurt. But maybe next week you might even try to memorize scripture with somebody who like pokes you in the chest and says, we need to do this. That's the point of community. That's the big bang. What a joy. What a, but we did fight over which verse to, to memorize. There were some blows, some words, some feelings hurt. But we came to a conclusion. Or at least one person didn't. The rest of us are following it obediently. <laughs> so having said that, memorize this word. Put it on your heart. Get into community and stay in community. Don't just get in. Stay in. Develop a prayer life with others. If you're married, you should commit to pray at least once daily with your spouse. I don't care if it's uncomfortable. Sorry. But, but commit, say, no more do we not do this. That's a big deal. When you watch a home implode, I get angry and I'm hurt because I'm convinced it's not God's plan. Maybe that's why some days I get up and I say, no more. I don't want to be this guy anymore. It matters. That's the bottom line. Find people to be vulnerable with. And I'm going to take it a step further. Find people who you will allow, who you will give authority to speak truth into you. Give them the right to ask you some questions. I'll give you just a couple in closing. Where do you sin most often? That'll take you at least at one leg out at the kneecap. It'll be sufficient, trust me. You might not need a lot more questions. What are you doing to fight the sin? Are you the spouse or the parent that God wants you to be? Where are you failing, and how can God equip you to do it better? You know, if somebody asked every one of us those questions weekly, I think this body would be transformed. I don't think it, I know it. Because, again, it makes us come to terms with, with this book, with the power of God, and the indwelling of a spirit that knows no bounds. And I also think... For a church and a body to do this, you would see people coming in Sunday morning with big grins. You know why? Because there's no greater joy. No greater joy, a joy that knows no bounds. And that's what the world is dying to see in us. And when we do it poorly, we're giving them half sweet tea. Find people to model standards by which you are not living up to and ask them to help you. You know what the amazing paradox there is, is that when you do that, you find somebody come up to you and say, gee, I need you to help me live up to those standards. And you go, wait, I'm struggling to do it myself. But what we fail to acknowledge is that this much growth 
Any amount of growth is an example and a model for the guy who's two steps behind us. And that's how we do it. We give it away to keep it. Find someone to help you put the man or woman back together in Christ. And watch how God lets this world fall back into place. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much. Um, I pray for the people in my heart, and I'm not going to talk about names, that when I think I grieve about people that are lost, that are struggling, that need to be discipled, that don't have a church like this, um, that are sitting today in darkness that I love and I care for, and um, they're not getting it. And again, I don't, I don't know why, Lord. Um, Father, I pray for this body, that it would be a body that would take this mandate to heart, that um, we would be a people that would know this joy that knows no bounds, that, that, that our pride, our, our good spiritual pride would be in looking around shoulder to shoulder and to say, these are my brothers and sisters in Christ that, that I've had a role to rub off on and let them rub off on me. Lord, we just thank you again so much that uh, you have called us, that you are equipping us, that you are inspiring us, that you are empowering us, and that you are good to us. Father, thank you for this favor that's so lavish, that's unmerited. You are good, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.